Good morning. I'm Darren Lindemann. I'm the Holy Word Pastor at our Pflugerville campus. A pleasure to be with you this morning and have the honor of studying this section of Scripture from Ephesians 6, having it impact me, and I hope it does you too. One of the years of my schooling that I remember more vividly than the others was one of my worst years. And I remember at the end of the school day, my stomach would tie up into a knot every time I heard the final school bell. Because the final bell of the day meant that I was to leave school, cross the street, and catch my bus. And waiting for me on the other side of the street was not only the bus, but, but he was always there. He would chest bump me. He would spit in my face. He would threaten me and call me names every day after school. I don't know why he targeted me. I'm a pretty nice guy, but uh, he was not, and it, it terrified me. And I couldn't run because my friends would laugh at me if I ran. And I couldn't tell my parents because my dad would think I was a wimp. And so for about, it was in the springtime, kind of the end of winter, springtime, probably for two months, I was bullied and did nothing. I could not wait until the end of school for a, lot of, for a, more, a different reason than everyone else was waiting. And it ended. And looking back on that, I, I just, I feel like a coward. I should have confronted that kid. And I don't really have anything in mind by what that means. It doesn't necessarily mean punching them in the face, but maybe. Um, I'm not a fighter. I I didn't grow up with brothers, and so it didn't enter my mind. But I did nothing. Maybe he went on to bully other kids, too, because I did nothing. I was a coward. 160,000 students a day in America stay home from school to avoid bullying. Are you being bullied right now? Or maybe one of your kids going back to school or work tomorrow, will he catch you in the hallway? Will she snap at you in the lunchroom? Will they be in the locker room, the chat room? A verbally abusive supervisor? A corrupt cop who profiles you because of where you live or how you act or your skin color or how you talk? Maybe bullying is going on in your little corner of the world. Maybe it's not. Well, Actually, it is. Ephesians chapter 6 tells us that we are being bullied more than we realize. When we set our sights on bullies that are not of this world. So listen to these words from Ephesians chapter 6. They're not printed. They're not projected. Just listen. And uh, these are God's marching orders for your fighting and struggling and being bullied this week and for a long time. Listen, Ephesians chapter 6, beginning at verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord 
and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me, that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. This is God's word. Dark powers, evil forces, spiritual bullies, the devil's schemes. If I were to ask you what your level of spiritual engagement is in, in fighting right now, what is it? Is it super intense? Is it uh, uh, on and off? Is it kind of on cruise control? Do you find that you have to get up early in the day or you have to go to bed early so that you can just spend at least a few quality minutes with your commander-in-chief to hear his directives and his orders so that you're in communication with him and you know the enemy's strategy for the day? Do you just have to do that? There's your biggest problem right now that your Netflix account didn't auto-renew and you have to figure out how that works or your case doesn't fit your new phone and it flops around or... You have to file your taxes. Your battle, the Bible says, is not against flesh and blood. You know what hit me when I was studying these verses? It hit me that, and that's where the story of, um, it's true, the true story of that bullying account came from. I, I think that I'm not fighting fights that God wants me to fight. And I think the same is true of you. I also think that I am fighting fights that God wants me to fight, but I'm growing discouraged. And I think that's true of you too. Here are two concerns I have about our, our laxity when it comes to spiritual struggle and warfare and fighting in our lives. The first is this. It is so easy to be 
pulled into so many crazy, busy directions in our lives, and to be concerned about taxes and phones and Netflix accounts and the kids and the schedules is so easy that we don't take the time and, and, and show the interest in pulling back the curtain over our hearts and to look inside and to see the battle going on. The first reason you're not fighting is because you're not seeing. And let me ask you this important question then. There is a battle going on in your soul, and that battle is in your soul and it's for your soul. Your soul is the trophy. Your worldview, what you, what you worship now, where you spend eternal destiny, that is the trophy, the prize, and there's a battle going on for it inside your soul. If your enemy is fighting that battle and you are not fighting that same battle, who's going to win? My second concern about our lax response to spiritual fighting is this. For some of you, you have seen it. For some of you, the curtains of your heart have been pulled open, maybe by you, maybe torn apart by a life event or a a trauma of some kind, and you have stared evil in the face. And you have run. Turned the other way and run. The second reason we're not fighting is because we are seeing, but we are fleeing. So let me ask you another question. If, if you are not struggling, you are not fighting. And if you are not fighting, what are you fleeing from? What are you running away from? God says to you today, take your stand. Fight. Take your stand against the devil's scheme so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. All right. Quiz time. When is the day of evil? It says when the day of evil comes. When is that? Tomorrow? Judgment day? Six months ago when you lost your job? Let me help with asking some more questions. When you read that text message and it just... It ruins your day. It's bad news. It's very disrespectful. It's something that someone on your project team tells you that they did that you told them not to do. It's your, your kids are in trouble. Something, it ruins your day. And the, oh, the anxiety just boils up inside of you. Who, who's turning that stove up? When your kid does something that you told them not to do, it just irritates you because you've told them a million times. And it's a seven-year-old being a seven-year-old. It's a 14-year-old being a 14-year-old. It doesn't make it right, but it's who they are. 
And, and those fires of irritability and anger. Ugh! Just want to wring them around the neck. Who's, who's starting that fire? And when you are trying so valiantly, so valiantly to focus during the sermon, when you're in church and you're trying to take into your soul the words of the song, or you're, man, if I can just make it through the whole Lord's Prayer without that train of my thought derailing somewhere else, but it does. Who's diverting your attention? It's not God. When the day of evil comes is whenever evil comes. And that's all the time. The day of evil is now. Today. Right now is the day of evil. That's why God's word says be alert. Oh, oh, the promise that we have. The victory is sure. But not without a fight. You will stand, but you must not run from the fight. You must not see the fight and be afraid. You must not be deceived by the enemy. There's no one here. There's nothing dangerous happening here. It's all good. There's nothing going on. And you must not be distracted and give your attention to so many other things that you're not giving your attention to spiritual warfare in your soul. Every one of you, the Bible says, every one of you, no matter how weak you feel or how strong you are, every one of you is a warrior. A warrior of God. But the choice to fight is your own. I want to read you something that's not out of the Bible, but I'm reading it because it, it applies, it, it, it brings into the sermon the feelings and the drama and the intensity of the battle. It's from a speech by Theodore Roosevelt called Citizenship in the Republic. It was delivered in April 1910. Listen to these words. They're very similar to what we're talking about. It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again, because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at worst, if he fails, at least he fails while daring greatly. 
so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. God doesn't ask you to win. That's Jesus' job. God does not ask you to conquer Satan. That's Jesus' job. God does not ask you to save other people. That's Jesus' job. But God does ask you to fight. God does ask you to face the lions of your fears and to not be afraid. God does ask you to run into the burning building where there are the flames of your insecurities and your uncertainties and to not turn around. God does ask you to stare evil in the face and when it roars, and it will, and you hear the voice of Satan himself to stand. And to stand strong and to stand against him, holding in your hands the weapons of God. And the promise is victory. Victory is sure, but not without a fight. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand, we hear in verse 11. Super Bowl today. Who do you think is going to win? Show of hands. Who thinks the Carolina Panthers are going to win? Raise your hand. Denver Broncos. Okay, Broncos have it. The rest of these people don't even know there's a Super Bowl going on today. I don't know where they've been. I, I'm sure there are, and, and I haven't heard them. I don't listen to a lot of sports radio, but, and, and maybe you do, and maybe you've heard them. But I'm sure there always is, in big games like this, someone who guarantees a victory, right? Some player, a coach, uh, a sports reporter from ESPN, somewhere, someone has said, I guarantee you the Carolina Panthers or the Denver Broncos will win. Now, I, Darren, guarantee you that anyone who says that is not thinking, well, let's just do this. Let's call the whole thing off since my team is guaranteed to win anyway. Let's call the whole thing off. You can FedEx the Lombardi Trophy to the team office. We'll get the T-shirts printed that say Super Bowl champions, and we don't have to go through the whole spectacle of the Super Bowl. I guarantee you, even the people who are guaranteeing victory are not thinking like that. They're still assuming that a game will be played. God guarantees you the victory in your spiritual battles. But you must still fight. God guaranteed uh, Abraham and Sarah, who are grandparent age, even past grandparent age, but didn't have any grandchildren because they didn't have any children, and they, and they couldn't have children. It was physically impossible. God guaranteed them that they would have a son. However, they still needed to engage in the normal procreative process and try to get pregnant and wait and try and wait and try. And God guaranteed the children of Israel, that they would conquer the promised land and live there. 
But they still needed to craft or to trade for swords and weapons of war and practice their swordsmanship and gather in an army and be ready to cut people's heads off. God and Jesus Christ guaranteed the disciple of Peter that he could come out and walk on water. But he still needed to step out of the boat. The glorious promise when we fight as Christian warriors is not only that we we have the opportunity and the command to do so, but we also have the promise of God that when we fight, we do not fight alone. Abraham and Sarah were not alone in trying to procreate a son. God miraculously touched Sarah's womb. And the children of Israel were not alone in fighting and conquering Jericho as they marched around it, not with swords, but with trumpets, and the walls came crashing down. And Peter was not alone in those waters when he began to drown. And when they got back in the boat, the breath of Jesus' words calmed the wind and the waves and Peter's heart. God wants you to fight. God demands that you are willing to fight. But when you fight, you are not alone. Those people, Abraham, Sarah, the children of Israel, Joshua, Peter, all of them fought. They had to have fought with just a little bit of fear in their hearts. Just being, just being a little scared, a little trepidatious about what they were trying to do, and even though they had God's promises. And, and you and I will be like that too. But we need to jump. We need to jump off the ledge, and we need to be falling through the air, falling at such speeds that we're scared that we're going to splat on the ground and that we don't have control, and we don't know what the end result's going to be. We have to be falling through the air so that when we open the parachute of God's promise, it fills up, and it controls our fall, and we land where God wants us to land. A parachute isn't the only weapon of God. As a matter of fact, it's not weapon. It's not mentioned in the Bible. I just I made that up. But uh, there are weapons of God that are mentioned in the Bible. And I want to I want to finish up by just touching on those those weapons that that are full armor of God that it mentions in Ephesians chapter six. But I want to make this main point and then cover it through it all. Those weapons that you and I fight with, those divine weapons, are not ours. They are borrowed weapons. The one who fashioned and forged those weapons is none other than the one who gives them to us, God himself. And so if you look in Isaiah 59, verse 17, uh, that's a neat passage that talks about these weapons of God. And it it mentions them further in Psalm 45. I'm going to read Isaiah 59, uh, but not Psalm 45. You go read that on your own this week. Isaiah 59, 17 says this. He, that's God, put on righteousness as his breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance and wrapped himself in zeal as in a cloak. I see Jesus in those verses. 
I see Jesus putting on righteousness as a breastplate, that righteousness that gives him this perfect character, this right inner being, this heart that beats for his Father and his Father's will more than any other and accomplishes it perfect for us. I see in Jesus a helmet. Like all helmets, it fits pretty awkward especially for Jesus. It's his crown of thorns. And it hurts. But it's a helmet of salvation. A helmet where he is the one who is making salvation. He is the one who is procuring salvation. He is the one who is coming up with the payment of salvation, the perfect blood of Jesus Christ dripping down his face as he suffers what you and I will never have to suffer, the wrath of God. I see garments, Jesus' own garments. Garments, as, as, as we uh, approach the season of Lent, that we'll be seeing these garments of Jesus and the whips and the scourges ripping them apart even as they rip into his flesh. And later those garments being stripped from him by the soldiers, perhaps pulling off the dried blood that was starting to coagulate and creating more wounds. And their, their garments of salvation winning the price for us. And then later Jesus wrapped tightly in garments after he dies in the burial cloths, unable to raise his hand to touch a leper, unable to open his mouth to calm the storm. His job is done. His work, it is finished. And the zeal of the Father accepts his payment for our sin and raises him from the dead. And he is welcomed home in heaven like a wounded warrior who has won the battle for us. Weapons. So fight, warrior of God. Fight. Fight the battle that you have not been fighting, that you need to fight. Keep fighting the battle that you think you want to give up on, but God gives you weapons to fight. Fight. Fight with borrowed armor. The very weapons of God that he puts in your hands. Weapons he put in David's hands. Little shepherd boy David. Remember him trying to borrow armor? He tried to borrow Saul's armor. Too big, too clunky. Wouldn't have worked for battle. Not the kind of battle that David planned and that God planned too. Stop borrowing the armor of this world and borrow the armor of God. The truth that David had, knowing that the lies that were coming out of Goliath's mouth were not true, but only God's word and promise were true. The righteousness that covered David's heart, like that of Jesus, that gave him a heart that was concerned for, for his father, for his God. Dave, little shepherd boy David was the only one who was so repulsed by the filth coming out of Goliath's mouth. Not the king. Not his brothers, not the other soldiers, but David because he was wearing the armor of God and it made him strong. And he wielded the sword of the Spirit, but for him it wasn't long and flashy. It was round and it fit in his hand 
and it was a stone. And God used that stone to pelt his enemy Goliath right in the head, and he fell with a great crash. David prayed. Oh, he prayed, Lord, I need you, Lord, I need you. And at the end of the day, the giant lie down dead, and the shepherd boy stands strong because of the armor of God. I read a story about a man in preparing for this sermon that I think wraps it all up for us well. This man wrote about a recurring nightmare that he, he always had, and some of us have those, right? Same nightmare every time, and it's just, it doesn't end. You always have it. And his recurring nightmare was he'd be in a battle somewhere, or in an arena, in a field of battle, and there was no enemy, but he was there, and he was ready to fight, and he was looking for his enemy, and then the enemy would always be the same. The enemy would come roaring out, and it was a, it was a pack of lions, big lions with big fangs, hungry lions ready to pounce on him. He would see the lions, and he would run, and he would run, and they'd be chasing him, and he would run, and his dream would end. He went and saw a therapist. Personally, I'd recommend your pastor, but he went and saw a therapist. And uh, the therapist told him this. Next time, if you can, try to manipulate your dream a little bit, and next time in your dream, don't run. But ask the lions who they are and what their purpose is. Not all of us can manipulate our dreams, and that's okay. But for this man, this time, this dream, it came again, and in his dream, he didn't run. He stood, and the lions came, and his heart beat with fear, and he stood, and the lions came closer, and they stopped, and he stood. And he said, who are you, and what is your purpose? And the leader of the lions said, We are your courage. Why do you keep running from us? The very fight that you fear, the very fight that you're not engaged in right now or the one that you want to give up on, that very fight is the fight that God can use to make you stronger and give you courage and make you not afraid. So stand up. With the armor of God, take your weapon of choice, and victory is sure, but not without a fight. Amen.